I don't know if you ever heard someone use the term, a person is a, a godly man, or a godly woman. That's such a godly woman. That's a, that's a, a term we throw around in church uh, from time to time. I don't know what comes to your mind. How do you know when someone's godly? What are, what are the characteristics that you look for? I want to take you to 1 Timothy chapter 6. As we've studied through this book of 1 Timothy, we come to verse 11 through 16, and it's as if Paul is telling Timothy, this is what you look for. This is, this is how you know what a man of God is. This is what they do. What they do. Now, we've looked at this, and we realize that this book was written for us to understand how to behave in God's family. How do we conduct ourselves in the church of the living God? To understand that we are pillars of truth, buttresses of truth is the word that they use. The, the thought is the community learns about who God is by how we relate, how God's people relate. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, it says it's really important for us to understand every instruction in this letter to know how, as a church, we're to work together. Lives are at stake. People need to know who God is, who is, what he's like. And so, as we come to chapter 6, verse 11, there's some actions. I'm going to tell you what these actions are. And as we do this, just simply ask yourself, is this me? Do I do this? And then, where there's lack, that's where we're going to be praying and repenting over. To be who God has called us to be as men of God, as women of God. Now, before we got there, or got to verse 11, we have looked at chapter 6. And it talks about false teachers. And it talks about people who are using godliness for money. And how this is extremely wrong. In fact, it's, it's the same environment that Jesus walked in. The religious leaders of the day of using godliness for wealth that ultimately put Jesus on the cross. Because Jesus was getting in the way of their wealth gaining for their, from their godliness. And so, in that passage, he says, this, watch out for this. Watch out for folks who are not content and love money, love riches. And he says, instead, in verse 11, he gives this contrast of these false tree teachers. What they do, what they did versus what they are to do. And so, in, in honor of this being God's word, let's stand as we read 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. In light of those who are loving money, coveting, piercing themselves because of the love of money, in light of false teachers that are out there. Verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession 
and the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. It's one of those passages that's just good enough to read. Just read it, and it speaks. This was one of the first sermons I ever preached was from this text. And interesting enough, the points are still the same. It's from the text. You can't improve it. It's what Scripture says. What does a man of God do? You notice that he has, but you, O man of God. And he has the very first action. Flee these things. Run away. Shun. Get as far away as you can from these things. Now, the, these things I already alluded to was the fact of, of, of using godliness, using religion to try to get money. And I, and I think this is where preachers are very, uh, very dangerous ground many times. Some of the things that you hear said on TV. Flee these things. Don't love money. Love of money will ruin your soul. Get away from that. False teachers, those who deviate from Jesus Christ, uh, uh, going a message apart from him being as God in flesh, get away from these things. But instead, pursue something. Now, flee these things. Have you ever fled? And when you think about it, there's, there's only not many times when you've actually ever fled. Uh, it has a sense of adrenaline, you know, fight or flight type uh, kicking in. There's, there's one time that stands in my mind. I was uh, in Kenya visiting the country, and uh, when you go out in the woods there, it's just not the same. I mean, there's all kinds of things that will kill you out there. And uh, we were just enjoying uh, 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 the river um, there, and, um, you know, enjoying the river here. I don't know if you know what the number one killer is there, as far as animals. Hippos. Hippos. Now, they don't eat you. They just bite you in half. All right? And you can't see them coming. And so we were just out there, and our job was to look at animals. That's what we were doing. And we were looking at animals, and we, you know, we see a group of hippos. I think, look at this group of hippos. How neat is that? And... Uh, evidently, there was one bull hippo with a bunch of female hippo, hippos, and the bull hippo didn't see our presence there as enjoyable. <laughs> and so uh, the bull hippo stands up and starts running toward us. And so there's a couple things that, that come in my mind. Hippos, number one killer in Kenya. Number two, they can run as fast as a horse. <laughs> so... At that moment, you know, you can think awfully quick. A couple of thoughts. I'm not going to see how close. 
nothing. I'm not going to test that. I'm not going to see. I always, always wondered what a hypno tip thought was. I didn't, none of those thoughts got him on. One thought prevailed. i got to get out of here. And, and then as I'm running, they go, oh, no, they run as fast as a horse. And so I'm starting to zigzag through them. Okay, the, the point I'm bringing is that when you flee, there's no playing around. At the moment of flight, there's not any wondering how close you can get to something. And the problem with many people sometimes is their thought is, how close can I get to sin? How close can I get to some temptation and not really cross the line? The problem is that at that moment, you've already disobeyed. Because he's commanded us to flee these things. And when you're flirting with these things, you've already crossed the line. Men of God, women of God, there is a fleeing that should be going on in our life. And so let me just say it this way. Godly men radically avoid what quenches God's life. Radically avoid what quenches God's life. In the title of the sermon, it says that the church needs men who are alive to God. Women who are alive to God. And so Timothy is being urged by Paul, stay true to God. You are called as a pastor, you're called as an elder to this church to help the elders, to help their church stay alive. Flee these things. Many people are piercing themselves with the love of money. Don't forget, that's the most immediate sin that he's talking about. A lot of times when I start talking about these things, we're, we're, our minds go into all kinds of temptations that bug other people that don't bug us. Alright? So don't be sinning, man, I wish so-and-so was sitting here. No, God puts you here. What are the sins that are in your life? Is there a, a radical avoiding Jesus said it this way that, you know what, it, it'd be better to, to have your, your eye plucked out than to sin. No, in other words, radically, radically measures to make sure that sin is separated from your life. But, and so there, is going, there, there will be parameters in your life, parameters in your thought life where you say, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to cross there. I'm not going to entertain this. Is there anything you tell yourself that? Do you have that list? When there is resentment in your heart, when there's anger, is there ever a check that says, you know what? This is wrong. I shouldn't be going here. I shouldn't be thinking these things. I shouldn't be dealing with this resentment, this anger. What are the checks there? Now, the problem is that many people who have the label Christian are known for what they're against. They're not known what they're for. What do they pursue? You notice the next line? Flee these things. And Paul says, I've already talked about these things. Flee them. Just don't entertain it. Just get away. Instead, pursue. Pursue. Godly men are to passionately chase after something. We are to passionately chase after the values of God's life. The characteristics of God. Now, notice uh, we've got righteousness. And, and I want you to understand the word pursue is to constantly strive for. And so it's not something that, you know, some folks say, well, you know, I made a profession of faith one time in my life. I, I walked down the aisle. I was baptized one time in my life. That's good. 
That's a, that's a nice start. But that's all it is. It's a start. And it is to be marked by an ongoing pursuit from that point on. What are you pursuing? What are you constantly striving for? And so he tells us what we are to constantly strive for. Well, godliness. And, and just a, a way to understand this is an open and obedient relationship with God. Godliness. To have an open and obedient relationship with the Lord. All right? So having a Godward attitude. All right? Not God-like. All right? God word attitude that your your heart and mind you're gravitating toward he is your center god is your center of your thoughts and then he goes on and says faith and love faith and love this is a trust in the lord and as well a love and a love of the lord and a love to others a love to toward others steadfastness or our patience maybe your translation endurance literally to remain under that whatever circumstances God places you in that you have the ability to remain under these things to see what God is teaching you gentleness gentleness now as we read this it, it makes think you know this looks familiar and it should Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 through 24 talks about the fruit of the spirit and you'll see a lot of common points here it says uh, the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Okay? So there you have it. This is the working of God in our life. Now, it's interesting when you look above that in Galatians 5, it talks about the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh. Now, I want you to understand something. If you're not doing one of these actions... You're doing the opposite action. So in other words, if you're not fleeing these things, you're flirting with these things. If you're not pursuing these marks of the Spirit, then you are pursuing your flesh. Pursuing your flesh. So let's look at Galatians chapter 5. And let's see, what is it, if we're not pursuing the Spirit of God, what, are gonna, what will be the effects in our life? What will be the marks? Galatians 5. So we read verse uh, 19. So the works of the flesh are manifest. In other words, if you're not seeking God, you're seeking yourself. And it's going to be evident. How do you know when self is the center of being? Well, you'll see these marks in your life. Verse 19. Adultery. Jesus marked it as adultery, not just in action, but in our mind. Fornication, uncleanness, that's another word for greed, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, are, are wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I've always told you in times past, that which, those which do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I, I think another word for this is, is drama. Drama. Always seem like there's drama around you. Everywhere you go, there's drama. Maybe it's wise to consider the common denominator in everywhere you go. It's you. Chatter, envyings, people taking sides, 
These are marks of when we're pursuing ourselves. Men, women of God, pursue, chase after Godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, righteousness. It's, it's amazing. Even in the midst of drama, when you've got people around you doing all this type of envyings and coveting and slanderous talks and, and taking sides and pride and, and all this just biting one another, in that walks righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. It can be done. Jesus did it, and he gives us his spirit. He gives us his spirit. As men and women of God pursue God's life. Now, as we keep on reading, there's something else we do, isn't it? I, and I think about this. It's, it's an ongoing, it's for the rest of your life, you're going to be pursuing something. Here's the thing. The rest of your life, you're going to be pursuing something anyway. So you might as well pursue Christ. Things that matter for eternity. You're going to pursue something. You're going to chase hard after your comfort. You're going to chase hard after your reputation. You're going to chase hard after your, your power. You're going to chase hard after your family. You're going to chase hard after retirement. For those of you who retire, you say, well, what am I going to do with my day? Well, if you always just work for your job, that's all you work for, then you're going to struggle with that. You're going to try to find, well, what's something that occupy my day? Really, is that your life? What can keep me busy through the day? Or is it to say, I want to be pursuing Christ. I want to pursue these attributes of my life. And so how do we do that? Well, we read the next action. What do we do? Well, godly men are to pa passionately chase the values of, godly, of God's life, radically avoid what quenches God's life. Then, when it says fight the good fight of faith, godly men doggedly persist living God's life. Doggedly persist in living God's life. Do you know what it means to live godly? To live godly is not to live without sin. Understand that. That's just wrong. If you have in your mind someone's got it because they live without sin, then you're not going to find it in this life. That's Christ. But when he says, oh man of God, he's not talking to, to Christ, he's talking to Timothy. He is challenging us that godly people are committed to fighting for the rest of their life. They fight. They fight the good fight of faith. Now, uh, some of you know I, I was doing Taekwondo and we had the, the black belt uh, exam last week. Um, and so one of the things we have to do is sparring. Sparring, fortunately you wear pads, but basically you kick one another and hit one another. It's just like boxing. Except when they do it for a black belt, um, it's not a question of, of winning because they put you against two people. And so you don't think, I'm going to win this. Your only goal is, I want to survive. I want to be able to stand up at the end of this thing, all right? And so that's what you do. And, and so you're just sitting there, or you're, just sitting, you're, you're, you're fighting, and you're kicking, and you're just getting kicked, and you're getting hit. And before long, though, as time goes on, you realize that the real fight is not against the opponents. The real fight is with your lungs, <laughs> 
because they're burning. And you're thinking, oh my, I, you know, if I just stand here, it's going to get worse. I've got to keep moving. I've got to keep fighting. And I've got to keep telling my body, it's okay. Someday we're going to stop this. And it's okay. And so the real fight, the real struggle is with your mind. And so when he says to fight the good fight of faith, understanding that with it, for anyone else that you're fighting with, you're fighting with yourself. Your, your self is constantly telling you this is the easy way out. This is the comfortable way. Let's go here. This is the way that gets more money. This is the way that gains reputation. This is the way that keeps you from being embarrassed. Go that way. And so it's a constant fight with yourself. Now understand that if you follow yourself, what's the work of the flesh? Drama. And all the sins that we looked at in Galatians 5. Any struggle is going to have dangers. It's going to have annoyances. It's going to have obstacles. Understand, you cannot be Christ-like without being willing to endure difficulties and challenges. But if we do not, if we do not resist and we do not know how to endure and resist temptation, we cannot be Christ-like. We cannot walk with the Lord if we're not able, through the strength of the Lord, able to endure and resist temptation. And what your body, your flesh is telling you to do. Godly men doggedly persist living God's life. Proverbs 24, 16 is one of the key passages It's worth writing down. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rises again. But the wicked shall fall by planning. Righteous people, godly people will fall. They will sin. The difference is they say, I'm not going to stop fighting. I'm going to get up again. And here, how do we get up? By the grace of God. Isn't it amazing? I fall back to God and his forgiveness and his mercy. And I see his forgiveness and mercy. I think, God, how is it you continue to love me in the midst of this? And as I am overwhelmed with the love of God, he gets me up again. Because I found that the only thing greater than my propensity to sin is God's love and faithfulness in my life. And it overcomes that. And so for the person who's trusting in Christ, there's a huge reservoir to get up again. And so we keep fighting. Now we read verse 12. We see that godly men radically avoid what quenches God's life. Godly men passionately chase the values of God's life. Godly men doggedly persist living God's life. But as we read verse 12, it has this idea of taking hold of the eternal life. And I just want to present to you that godly men fully experience God's life. They know the fullness of the Lord in their life. It says, take hold. And, and all these are actions. Flee. Pursue, fight, take hold. Present tense meaning a continual action that we do. Take hold of the eternal life. Now we read that and think, well, what, what does that mean? I thought eternal life is something that God just gives us and it happens when we die. 
John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that if anyone believes in him, he will not perish, but have everlasting life. But as we learned in reading John 3, that's for those who are born of God. Born of God has eternal life. And so there's an idea that there's a present sense to this, but there's more to come. There's more to come. Eternal life is not just something you experience when your heart stops beating here. And if that is how you view it, then you do not see it as how the Bible teaches it. John 17. Jesus described this for us, verse 1 through 3. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus defined eternal life as simply, you know God. You talk to him. He talks with you. You have a relationship. He is eternal. And so you are alive and you respond to the eternal one. And it begins at the moment of seeking God in confession, repentance, acknowledging Jesus as your Savior, Lord. At that moment, when you come in humility before God, say, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I see a great need because of the sin has created this huge gap between you and me. And if left to myself, I have no future only condemnation. God, have mercy on me. It is that attitude that responds to the grace of God, whereby he sends his Holy Spirit to be a part of your life. Through the Holy Spirit, by faith, you talk to God, God talks to you, you respond to him, and it continues every day. Every day. Let me bring another passage to you to, to think through this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's worth turning to. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want you to look at verse 10. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10 through 12. Paul's described himself being persecuted but not forsaken, cast down but not destroyed. Verse 10, he's always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. In other words, I'm suffering and I'm, and I'm dying to myself. I'm saying no to what my flesh is telling me. I'm, I'm, I'm taking on the death of Jesus Christ so that the life of Christ might be in my life. Verse 11, for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. How does Jesus live today? He has ascended to be up with the Father. Jesus lives today by his Holy Spirit through you. But it only happens when you say no to your flesh to say, I'm not going to live for myself anymore. I'm going to live to God. So the Spirit of God is made manifest in our flesh 
Verse 12, so then death works in us, but life in you. Now, if you go down to the next chapter, it's continuing with the same idea in chapter 5. But notice verse 4. He refers to the tabernacle, the temple or the tent, referring to his physical body. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for that we should be unclothed, but clothed upon. That mortality might be swallowed up by life. That my selfish, fleshly desires, the physical body, might be swallowed up by the life of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, that he might pervade in my life. And that's what he says, verse 5. Now he that wrought us for the selfsame thing as God, who has given unto us the guarantee of the Spirit. I cannot think of a better way of describing death than that. For the believer, no, they just got swallowed up by life. They just got swallowed up by life. The physical body couldn't take it anymore. The Spirit of God continues on. And now there's a whole new realm of living. But we've got taste of it by the Spirit of God who's given to us as a guarantee, as a down payment that's more to come. Do you know the down payment of eternity? Eternal life is the Spirit of God. Remember Jesus said it. This, this is eternal life that they may know God. So when he says, man of God, flee these things, he's saying, radically avoid what quenches God's life, passionately chase the values of God's life, which happens to be the fruit of the Spirit, fight, persist, doggedly persist living God's life, and then take hold of eternal life. Fully experience God's life. So, you're called to that. Notice, he says, take hold of eternal life to which you were called. Every one of you are called by God. What are you called to do? Simply to understand the scripture and say, God, I've got choices before me today. I can, I can go and live and seek after those things that much of this world seeks after. I could embrace death. I can live for the values of the flesh, which brings on death. I can lay hold. None of us ever says to us, I'm going to take hold of death today. We, we don't wake up doing that. Yeah? But he says, take hold of eternal life. When you don't take hold of eternal life, that's the only option. That's not very cheerful because we want that middle one. Well, you know, isn't there semi-life? You know, what's in between? In between is where we say, you know what, I want a little bit of the Spirit of God, and I want a little bit of my sin, and I want to be able to live with both. Isn't that us? Isn't that our tendency? The problem is that we don't see sin for what it is. We think it's life enhancements. It's a, it's a nice little supplement. Help me make it through my day. But what we see as supplements, God says, that's taking from me. And I made this world. And it's made for me. And you're taking up an idol. That's not a supplement. That's cancer. We don't, we don't mess with cancer. 
We don't want a little bit of life and a little bit of cancer. So every day we have the opportunity to take hold of eternal life. But understand that if we don't, the default is taking hold of death. That's the default. When you live for yourself. So how do we do this? Understand. God, you called me to eternal life today. Notice what it says? To which you were called. You called me to this. You have provided your Holy Spirit in my life today. He wants to live through me. He wants to produce fruit of godliness, righteousness, faith, love, gentleness. And so, at this point, I want to consciously, intentionally submit my heart, my mind, my day to you, Holy Spirit. God, work through me. I want your glory to be done this day. And I understand, Lord, that there may be parts where my flesh will rile up against you. Quickly reveal it to me, that, and I will repent. I will confess it. And make a commitment. So when the hippos come in our life, we're not flirting anymore. We quickly flee away. And we pursue. And when we find our heart is failing and we're tired and our lungs are burning. And we say, I don't know. And we fall back. We fall back to the grace of God. And say, God, you knew this day was going to be like this. You knew there was going to be grace today. God, I'm going to hold on to the grace. Give me the strength to rise up again. I want to lay hold to eternal life. I want to know you, God. I want to know your love, your working, your holiness. I've had enough of the cancer of myself, and I want to repent of that. To which you were called, about which you made the good confession and the presence of many witnesses. Now, we're not entirely sure what's being talked about, but it seems like his baptism of a public confession of salvation. If you have been baptized, you've made a public statement. And here's your public statement. Your public statement was not that, God, I want to make sure that when I die, I go to heaven. The public confession is, Jesus, be my king. Be my king. I need a savior. I need a savior, not from the penalty of my sin alone. I need need deliverance from sin. Do you understand the difference? You made a confession, a public confession, and he reminds Timothy that. You made a good confession, but look, you did it. Before God, verse 13, I charge you in the presence of God. And I love the next phrase, who gives life to all things. Because we're sitting here dabbling with death. And to say, God, you give us life. And we make this testimony before you. The parents here this morning, they made a charge. They made an oath before God in the presence of many witnesses. Who gives life to all things. 
and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. So I was just kind of curious. What did Jesus say before Pilate? John 18, verse 37, 38, Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. I love that. I'm a, I'm a man. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I've come into the world. <laughs> that probably blew Pontius Pilate's mind. So what, you know, you're born or did you come to the world? He said, yes. <laughs> I, I'm man and I'm God. I've come into this world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice. What was the confession? Jesus said, I'm king. And I'm king of the truth. I'm king not of this world, but out of this world. And he made that confession knowing good and well what's going to happen. Crucifixion was on its way. I charge the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord. To say, stay true to Jesus as your Savior and your King. Do not let the riches of this world pierce your soul. Don't let the love of that ruin you. Keep it. Because Jesus is coming back. Amen. See that in verse 14? Until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. I love what Paul does here. There's just something about that name. He starts talking about Jesus, and he goes on a holy tangent. He starts worshiping. starts thinking about Jesus coming back. He who is the blessed and only Savior. You see about seven, seven references to Jesus. Blessed, only sovereign, King of kings, Lord of lords, who alone has immortality. He's talking about, don't live this way for death. You've got life. You've got the spirit of God. Lay hold of eternal life. He alone has immortality, and he's sharing it with you. Who dwells in unapproachable light. Therefore, flee darkness. You are about a Savior has nothing to do with sin. You are about a God that is holy and cannot stand the presence of sin. What does he do with the sin in our life? And for us to say, God, I like you as a savior and I like you as for eternal life. I'm going to be glad to have you when I die. But you know what? I just want a little bit of sin right now just kind of make me through the day. There's not much more absurd thing you can say to a holy God who made you. Blessed Sovereign, King of kings, Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, who no one has ever seen or can see. Why can't they see him? Because we can't handle seeing him. It blows our existence. It doesn't just blow your mind. It blows your existence. To him be honor and eternal dominion. As I look about this, this doxology, this praise, this doxology seems to match my hunger for position. 
It seems to match my hunger for power. My hunger for quality, impact, status, and respect, and influence. Seems to be, when I'm honest, what I want. I'd like to be blessed. I don't want anyone telling me what to do. Let me be sovereign. I don't like it when things go out of control. I like things to go according to plan. And if they don't, I get angry. I want to be king of kings. Lord of lords. Who alone has immortality. I don't like aging. I don't want to die. Who dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. Let, let honor and eternal dominion be to me. When we live for ourselves, that is the hidden song of our heart. But it is the song of our heart. No one's going to sing that out loud because we understand the audacity of it. But it is what we do when we do not live for Christ. We do not let the Spirit of God reign in our lives. Well, man of God, if you're not a man of God, you're a man of the world. And this world will end and die. Oh, man of God, as a godly man or woman, radically avoid what quenches God's life. Passionately chase the values of God's life. Doggedly persist living God's life. And fully experience God's life. Do you know the fullness of the Lord in your life? It's not because God's playing hide and seek with you. It's us who are playing hide and seek. Remember, it's God who came down the garden and said, where are you? And we are ashamed and we cover ourselves up. God wants you to know what it is to follow him. He wants you to have life. Eternal life. Will you say, God, I want the fullness of who you are. I want the Measure of good works you can do that will make up for.